Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. And I know we have a lot going on and food coming in and people up and down the stairs, but we're going to go ahead and get started this morning. Uh, we're glad that you're here and you'll see in your bulletin uh, several announcements and activities that are up and coming. Uh, I do want to make a few announcements uh, before we go too far. Uh, we have several things for downstairs. Now, I was told to give you a little bit of instruction, and so I'm going to give you that. Here's the rules for downstairs. When you go downstairs and line up for the food, please line up down the hallway, not in front of all the tables with the food and drinks. So please, when you go downstairs and line up to get your food, line up down the hallway. And second of all, when you're fellowshipping with your friends, don't do it in front of the drink tables. Um, they were saying a lot of people try to get drinks and everybody's congregating, so please uh, be respected. We only got limited room downstairs. So it does get crowded at times, but we do want you to fellowship. We do want you to get food, but we just want you to try to help the ladies downstairs keep it orderly and in fashion as we go forward. Also, if you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. Uh, you will see a visitor card uh, that you can fill out and we'll have a record of your visit. But importantly, too, on the back side is the prayer request. And uh, that's how we keep up with a lot that's going on in the church through our prayer requests. And uh, if you're not part of our prayer chain, uh, they keep very active and going on all the prayer requests that come through. Uh, we only share those as you tell us, and we only post them if you tell us to put them in the bulletin. So uh, please fill that out if there's something, and we will uh, follow up and be praying for your family as well. The other thing I need to announce, uh, coming in, we know we're finishing up our break for teaching, and uh, Sunday school's kind of been on a break, and as we get back going, we need a lot of help. Um, over the last several months, we'd like to continue expanding. We know that as Nick and Kirsten transition out, we're going to need help in our middle school class, which they were teaching. We also have some help down below in the third and fifth grade subs we need, and with Phil and Karina doing internship uh, over at Safe Harbor, they're not going to be able to help in the preschool class as a third helper, so we're always needing someone to rotate in. Uh, the strokers are teaching it, but we're always needing help. So folks, as we get back going again, please be in prayer. Um, of all the ministries we have in a church, it's the teaching ministries of discipleship that we need most. And so there's no sense sometimes, I think, of doing all the other ministries that we have if we're not able to teach and to instruct people in the Word while they're here. So please be in prayer, whether it's the younger ages or the older ages. Most of our teachers and helpers are willing to move around wherever they're needed, um, and they're willing to move as you, if you feel led to help, tell us what area you'd like to be in, and then we'll work around that as well. But we'd really like to to keep that going forward. So please be in prayer and how you can help us in those teaching classes. Also, the sound video booth, we want to keep announcing. Uh, I appreciate everybody who's helping in that, but we have the technology to do the work. We just need someone back there helping it and turning it on and off and helping us. If it's something that you feel, you feel you'd be interested in helping us with, they'll train you, they'll show you. Um, and in most, most people, as long as you're not afraid to click a button or move a camera or help with the volume, uh, you can help us real well, but we do need people to help back there as well. And so a lot's going on. Uh, other than that, ministries start back up next Sunday. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we've had a whole month off in Sunday school uh, to let you be revived and refreshed. And so next week we'll start back up and hopefully all the classes will be up and running. So uh, please be in prayer uh, for that. Our, our elders will be meeting on Tuesday. Uh, we have upcoming Presbytery meeting that we'll be going to and preparing, and some of our men will be going there. We'll begin discussing some of the transition over the summer uh, that we'll be doing. Uh, but also, to tell you the next meeting, just so you'll know, we'll be having Presbytery here in September. And so if you've never been to a Presbytery meeting and you've never seen how it functions and works, 
that would be the time to put on your calendar the second uh, Tuesday in September, and you can plan on coming as a guest and seeing how Presbytery works and how the pastors and the elders of our region gather together to accomplish the task of ministry. So anyway, lots going on there. We appreciate you being involved. Pray about how it is that you can serve so that we can continue our ministries uh, as we go forward through the summer as well. Uh, but other than that, I'll ask you to stand with me and I'll call us to worship. If you'll read the bold print as I read the light print from Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Amen. You may be seated, and let's take a moment as we go to the Lord in prayer, and I'll invite you in a moment to pray with me uh, the Lord's Prayer. You'll see it inside the cover of the Red Hymn Book if you'd like to follow along. Um, but you will see the prayer requests for our Grace family inside your bulletin there. You'll see uh, several prayer requests that are listed, and uh, we want to uh, keep you up to date on some of those. I do know that Phil has shared with us. Uh, several of you have asked me, and I know some of you probably know more than I do, but he, they did reach a 30%, I believe, of their funding that they needed. And so rather than this fall, I believe the plan is to wait until January. Is that, yeah. So they're still planning on it. They'll still be raising funds. But for those of you who are asking, um, I think they're about 30% funded, and they needed to be 80% before they could actually commit to going in the fall. And so now they'll continue working and the plan would be to go in January. But in the meantime, he is also doing an internship as he works toward ordination. Uh, it's a process in our presbytery. So pray for Phil and Karina and their family as they'll be transitioning in the mornings over to Safe Harbor. I think that's the right name. I always say that on the Eastern Shores. But our, our sister church in Safe Harbor, he'll be working there as an intern, uh, at least for a while, as they're searching to, to find someone to come and serve with them. And so pray for their family. Uh, that's where they are now. As they, uh, I think he's actually preaching this morning if he's doing it. So they're calling on him already to do a lot over there. So let's pray for Phil and Karina, their mission, their endeavor to go forward uh, as well. Uh, also, you'll see the others that are listed here, but obviously with Nick and Kirsten, they'll be doing some uh, training this month as we transition over. I know we're celebrating today a time of our normal fellowship meal with them. Uh, this is Nick's last official day as on duty. He'll still be here as we transition in the next month or so, but they'll be going to some training uh, in the first part up in Detroit where they'll be doing some church planter training, and then at the end of the month, they'll be going through an assessment time together, and uh, so pray for them. Pray for it as God works in their hearts as to what it is, and they hone down what it is God's actually calling them to do. So we have a lot going on uh, in that direction. Pray for our session as we continue to go forward. Pray for our deacons as they're putting things together with the new deacon board. And so lots are going, lots taking place, and so we want to pray for that this summer as well. We don't want to neglect you and your prayer requests, but please call Christy. We're willing to put them in the bulletin, but if we don't hear after so many weeks, we take them out. Not because we stop praying for you, but we don't want to just keep them in until we have updates. And so please let us know. But let's take a moment and just simply pray for these. And then if you would join me in the Lord's Prayer as we continue in worship. But let me lead me, let us go to the throne of grace. Heavenly Father, we thank you that it's here that we can gather together. Lord, we can come alone at any time. And we can bow before you in the privacy of our own homes, our own closets, our own places. Lord, it's not because we're here that you hear us more. But Lord, it's here that you promise that when two or three are gathered together, and that as we lift up our hearts and our voices, 
that, Lord, you'll accord us with your will, that you'll reveal to us within your word what it is that you're accomplishing in our lives. And, Lord, in all of our lives, we face so much. Lord, we realize because of sin, our body is ailing. Lord, age is a part of it now. Health is a part of it now. The factors begin to, to come in. And, Lord, we lift up so many within our own family here this morning, just specifically for physical care. Lord, that you'll help us in our healings. You'll help us through our surgeries. You'll help us through our rehabs. Lord, we have so much that we're going through. We pray for the strength for our spouses that are helping them through this. We pray for the children who are helping their parents find places to live and to reside. And Lord, we pray for those who are caring for one another uh, throughout the rest of their lives together. Lord, we just lift all of this up because, Lord, we know you have overcome and that the victory is ours. And that one day in this resurrected body, Lord, we will be able to experience what it was and what it is to be in your presence without any sorrow, without any sadness, without any pain and suffering. And Lord, as we long for that day, it's here on this earth that we want to lift everybody up. Lord, not just for those who are hurting, but Father, the sorrow, the suffering and anguish that comes through anxiety as we try to discern your will and what it is that you have for us. Lord, I, I just pray this morning that as we gather together and we lift up one another, that you'll open our hearts and our minds. Uh, Lord, specifically, uh, that you'll show us just how it is that we can serve you. Lord, I pray that you'll open our hearts to hear what it is Pastor Nick has for us so that, Lord, we may be blessed, that we may take it out, that we may further your kingdom here in this area as we leave this place. Lord, all these things, we come boldly together as a family, as a body where we are two or three gathered, where we can pray as you taught us, saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Before we sing together, I love to tell the story. Let's confess together for just a moment our faith. Having seen what the scriptures principally teach us to believe concerning God, it follows to consider what they require as the duty of man. Join with me as I read the light print, if you'll read the bold print with me. What is the duty which God requires of man? The duty which God requires of man is obedience to his revealed will. And what did God at first reveal unto man as the rule of his obedience? The rule of obedience revealed to Adam in the estate of innocence and to all mankind in him, beside a special command not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the moral law. To follow him in obedience and to do what he commands and to tell others what it is that he's done for us. Amen. You may be seated. And as we take a moment uh, to share together in congregational prayer, I know as we all have our own sins and our own opportunities to confess, we do come together. If you're visiting with us, we invite you to confess our sins together, uh, not to one another, but with one another at the throne of grace and a time to know that he hears us and answers according to his will. And so 
I'm going to invite you to pray with me this confession of sin. But before I start and join, I'm going to give you a moment to just simply bow your heads and to take a moment and to personally confess what it is that you need to confess before the Father. And then in a moment, I'll lead us and then we'll pray together. So let's take just a moment and confess our own personal sins to the Lord. If you would join me as we pray together. O gracious and gentle and condescending God, God of peace, Father of mercy, God of all comfort, we confess before you the evil of our hearts. We acknowledge that we are too inclined toward anger, jealousy, and revenge, to ambition and pride, which often give rise to discord and bitter feelings between others and us. Too often we thus both offended and grieved you. O long-suffering Father, forgive us this sin and permit us to partake of the blessing you have promised the peacemakers, who shall be called the children of God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And again, throughout scriptures, we always find the assurance that when we come to him, he doesn't just forgive us, but he restores us and cleanses us and makes us ready to serve. And so here in Romans chapter 5, we have that wonderful verse so many of us know that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. I know it is our prayer that you understand before you leave this place that whatever it is you have done, God has demonstrated that love and has justified you in his son, Jesus Christ. So before we pray for the offering, I'm going to ask if the ushers will come forward as we prepare to take up our offering. And as I lead us in prayer, you pray and thank the Lord for the blessings he's given you and what he's entrusted to you and what he's called you to give back to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again are so thankful for what you have blessed us with. Lord, as your scriptures remind us in so many ways, let us not rob from you. Let us not practice thievery. Let us not practice selfishness. Let us in trust and in faith serve you. Let us be wise with what it is that you have given us. And Lord, let us be excited. Let us be happy to give back that first portion that you've given to us, that we might trust you with what it is that's left, knowing that you would be the one that provides for us in all that we need. And we'll be sure to give you the praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.
I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. While you're turning there, I was planning to preach something else. And Sunday, no, Monday morning, as I was studying, it just wasn't, just wasn't feeling right. So as I prayed and thought about it more, I believe the Lord directed me back to this passage. This passage is a familiar one to many of us. It's been preached a few times, even since I've been here. If you've been here for a while, I believe Virgil Jones has preached on it. I believe Satoshi Kawachi has preached on it, one of our missionaries to southern France. And Greg Doty, who was once at Annapolis EP, who is preparing to go on the mission field to Scotland, he came and preached this passage. And I even preached this passage. Back in 2017, when I was just a young man. <laughs> but why come back one more time? I think we need a reminder of what our Lord came to do. I think we need a reminder about who we are and why we're here. We need a reminder of his heart of compassion. And I couldn't think of a better passage to preach from about that. So listen now to God's word from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. This is God's word. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds... He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're bringing us to this passage again. Some reason you are. You would remind us again what you're all about. You would remind us of the way that you look at people, the way that you look at the crowds. You would remind us that we were lost that we were in need of your compassion and that you would remind us of the way that you have drawn us in to your great plan. Lord, even if we've walked with you for many years or if some of us perhaps have not yet walked with you, may you speak to all of us today. May we all be willing to hear what you have to say to be fully open, to be fully prepared to uh, be convicted, be strengthened, be given hope and encouragement. And we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna begin by sharing a story about a man who needed some encouragement. And this man was a seminary professor 
and a church planter. Church planter is, Lord willing, what we're about to be. And believe it or not, he was in need of encouragement. He was in need of refreshment as a Christian, even though he had walked with the Lord for many years. So this is his testimony. He says, I was asked, pushed into going with a group of seminary students to street preach in New York City. I didn't want to go. I was prejudiced against street preaching. It evoked images of a single man standing on a corner, speaking into the wind with no one listening. So he's very open about his bias against it. But these students knew how depressed I had been and had insisted that I come. They knew what I didn't. With most of my time spent at seminary and church, I needed the challenge of talking about my faith in a new setting. Isn't that what we just sang about, telling the story? Yes, we tell it here, and we tell it in Sunday school classes. But he needed a new challenge. And the students assured me that they had a different approach to street preaching. We go to places where, where there are crowds of people, and we take a group of 15 to 20 Christians to form a core listening group. So already, these students were, were encouraging him and saying, it's not like what you thought. It's different with us when we go. So he goes on, I wondered on the drive to New York who was going to preach. But guess what? When I arrived at our spot near Greenwich Village, I discovered that I was going to be the preacher. <laughs> and no excuses would be accepted. The students were unanimous. Believe me, I was suddenly thirsting for grace. I heard Jesus' words deep in my empty heart. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes, streams of living water will flow from within. By this he meant the spirit who had not yet been given. And that's from John 7, 37 through 39. He goes on, when I climbed up on the small stand, I spoke as loudly as I could about living water for the thirsty. To my amazement, people gathered to hear me. As I watched them cross over from a parkway to listen, I felt deep joy because I knew the Spirit was drawing them. At one point, to the amusement of my students, I said, oh, the bliss of knowing Jesus personally. This archaic religious language reflected my joy and perhaps some lingering nervousness. In spite of its complete inappropriateness for my audience, this word, bliss, described what the Spirit was bringing into my life. I meant it from the bottom of my heart. The depression and self-pity were gone. I was, inex I was inexpressibly happy. While my hearers looked momentarily puzzled, they kept on listening, and soon some of the students and I were down on our knees praying with a man who had been heckling me earlier. Behind his surface hostility lived a thirsty human being who had been prepared by the Spirit. He said he wanted to receive Christ and afterwards agreed to be discipled by local Christians. This street preaching was not an isolated incident. In the years to come, I would preach this way in Philadelphia, Kampala, Uganda, Amsterdam, London, and Moscow, and see many people's lives changed. And he's, he concludes, he says, I didn't know it at the time, 
But I could see, whereas all had been frustration and dryness, now there were change and new beginnings. This was Jack Miller, former professor at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. Uh, he died in 1996, but he, he was a church planter and even someone who knew so much about the gospel and about the Bible, he had a dryness in his life. There was a part of Jesus' ministry and Jesus' will for him that was missing. And his students, these learners, had enough sense to say, come on, professor, let's go out there and share the gospel. Why do I share that? I think those of us who are Christians, I think sometimes our lives are pretty dry. There may be a number of reasons for that. We may be starving ourselves. We may be very diligent and proactive about all other areas of our life. When it comes to our career, when it comes to our education, perhaps when it comes to what we want for our family. But when it comes to seeking the Lord and his will, sometimes that gets left to the bottom of the priority list. But it was not at the bottom of Jesus' priority list. And we'll see that. What I really want to show you today is a snapshot of what Jesus is like. What I'm going to share is not everything about his character, but something true about his character. Something true that a seminary professor and a heckler, a skeptic in New York City could be drawn in with. And perhaps you and I need to be drawn in with again. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest, we learn. And because that is who he is, we as his followers can confidently follow him in reaching the lost. So I want to look at this passage in three, three movements, three, three main things that are happening. First, what was Jesus doing? I actually read a, a story this week about um, these group of young people who were learning how to make boats for the Chesapeake Bay and it was uh, a congressman, John Sarbanes, was writing in the Capitol about how it's important to not just have students learning in the classroom, but getting outdoors and getting connected with nature and learning in a new way can be so valuable for civic life, for personal responsibility, uh, for even taking care of the bay. And he used the example of these mentors, these experienced boat builders who were able to help these young people learn a new skill and see their connection to nature and not just be inside all the time. But what was Jesus doing? Let me read it again. Verse 35. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. He was active and he was outside. Jesus was the master teacher, but his classroom was wherever he went. 
and he went around to all the cities, even the small ones, even the ones that people had a low opinion of. Remember the reputation that he had, the city that he was from? What was it? Nazareth. Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And some people held that against him. But he was focused. He was focused on his father's will, reaching out. He was active. He and his disciples weren't just going around seeking the good life for themselves, for themselves. They weren't just going around saying, I wonder what we could do to make the best life for ourselves. He went where the people were. So as he taught in their synagogues, you would assume that those in the synagogues were those who were wanting to learn God's word. Synagogues were local places of worship. The temple was around too, but the, the synagogue at this time was a place where people learned God's word, God's law. And Jesus was perfectly comfortable going into these synagogues and teaching. Jesus knew the word himself. We even think about Jesus when he was 12 years old in the temple, asking questions and talking with the leaders. Very interesting. But he went where the people were to teach them. And when you teach someone, you're showing that those people have dignity. Perhaps we had some teachers who seem very arrogant and feel like they're God's gift to the world, and you are so lucky for you to be under their teaching. Jesus' approach was not like that. He taught because he really wanted them to know God's word, and he wanted them to know God, what God was like. So he was teaching in their synagogues. He was proclaiming or preaching the gospel of the kingdom. We know that Jesus is the king, Matthew, in a unique way compared to the other Gospels, presents Jesus as the Messiah, the one that the Old Testament scriptures were all pointing to. And if you were paying attention, if you knew the scriptures, you would clearly see that Jesus was fulfilling these things. All the things that they believed, all the things that they had been promised from the Old Testament, Jesus was, was doing these things over and over. And Jesus says, I'm the, I'm the king I'm bringing the kingdom. He says, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. The king brings the kingdom. It's this gracious reign of love and of power and of relationship with God. He's saying, I'm the king. I'm bringing peace. Not only that, he's healing every disease and every affliction. Matthew says the same thing earlier in, in chapter 4. That this was a description of the ministry. This is what Jesus spent his time doing, day in and day out. Teaching people, preaching, and healing every disease and every affliction. And as you can imagine, when the word would get around, crowds would come. The crowds would be around. I looked it up, and the word for crowds or crowd, appears 50 times just in the Gospel of Matthew. 
And if you read the Gospel of Matthew, you'll see when Jesus is out, when, not when he's alone praying sometimes, we see that too, but when Jesus is out, it's him, it's his disciples, it's the crowds, and the disciples and the crowds get a front row seat of all that he is doing and all that he is teaching and all of his healings. But these activities summarize his earthly ministry, and these are what the people really need. And it's helpful for us to remember that people are holistic. Again, if you're trying to share the gospel with someone and that person has a hungry belly, it's going to be awful hard for them to pay attention to what you're saying to them. So Jesus saw the whole person and ministered to the whole person. And these healings were signs that the king had come. So that's what Jesus was doing. But we get a glimpse of how he was feeling, what he was feeling inside. Look with me at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, I'll stop right there for a moment. In youth group, we've been studying different snapshots of Jesus' ministry, and we've been observing how Jesus saw people when his disciples and and the crowds weren't really seeing what was going on. And sometimes by Jesus seeing the one in need, he was able to direct the attention of the disciples to the one who was in need. But Jesus saw I think a lot of us want to feel seen. We want to see, we want to be appreciated. We want our, what we bring to the table to be known. But we see here that Jesus saw the crowds. But when he saw them, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. From the depth of his being, he had pity on them. He didn't turn away. Again, sometimes when I mention the word crowd, you might say, that's a reason why I live in South County or the reason why I live in Calvert County is because there aren't very many crowds and crowds kind of um, intimidate me. They can be scary. They can overwhelm me. But we still do have crowds around here. If you're driving in the morning, you'll see kids at a bus stop. You'll see people outside of a store, little crowds. But I wonder when you, when you see them, maybe students walking to school like I do uh, when I'm driving down Central and um, Mayo Road. What do I think about? What do you think about when we see these crowds of people? Jesus had compassion for them. From the depth of his being, he wanted to help them. He wanted to teach them. He wanted to proclaim the good news. He wanted them to have spiritual life. He wanted them to have a relationship with God. And he wanted to heal them, and he had the power to heal them. He saw that they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And this brings to mind true and false shepherds. There's a precedent in the Old Testament, and it's often pointed out when Israel was failing to lead its people They were shepherds in name, but they weren't really caring for the people. 
They were feeding themselves. And even this week, I read a story in the New York Times. It caught my attention. One, because of the title, it said it was a Christian pastor leads people to uh, star themselves, basically. I don't know if anybody saw that. So I, I read it, and it said this, Kenyan police have uncovered dozens of bodies from graves connected to uh, uh, this cult leader. And, I mean, it's just a picture of someone doing the opposite of what a real shepherd does. Instead of feeding the sheep, he starved the sheep. Somehow one of the people that he uh, gathered to his group was very wealthy, and he convinced him and everybody else to give all, the, all their possessions. Again, it's a, it's a twisting of what the real shepherd does. When he asks us to give up everything for him, it's really that we would have everything in him. That all of our resources would be for him. He doesn't just take it and starve us. He invites us to participate in what he's doing. And we get to, to be his uh, under shepherds, uh, ministers to help the people. But the name of this group is called the Good News International Church. The story was sad in itself, but it made me sad that the article would be presented as a Christian pastor doing this and that people would believe that this is a Christian pastor. And as I was about to write something in the comments about it, they had already closed the comments. But a few had already said, like, this man was no Christian pastor. But it shows that there is, um, there's a lot of suffering. And we wonder, why did God let that happen? I don't know. But I know that when, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. There were so-called shepherds around, but they weren't helping. Uh, we've got prosperity gospel preachers. We've got so-called spiritual guides, people who are following the desires of their own hearts and proclaiming them as the way to life. Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy every, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to Christ. How well are we doing in that area? Are we taking every thought captive to Christ or are we tossed around? Sometimes we're tossed around by our own choices, by what we choose to watch or listen to. I was very fascinated by the news earlier this week that two of the most popular pundits on cable news were both fired. And I don't know what you think about them, but you know that they had a lot of influence and they're gone. So many people trusting them and then they're gone in a minute. And that is the way, the way that things go, the way that things can so quickly change in this world, falling out of favor. So he has compassion for these sheep without a shepherd. But then he gets his disciples involved. Up to this point in, in the narrative, Jesus has been doing pretty much all of the, the healing and the teaching and the preaching himself. 
Earlier in Matthew, we've got the Sermon on the Mount. We've got different people that he's encountered with, but it's at this moment that things turn a corner and he gets his disciples involved. Verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He welcomes them in with the joy of working for him. I think we should pray right now. Yeah, let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, watch over uh, Betty right now. Lord, help her, help those who are helping her. Encourage her, Lord, and give her peace. Give us peace, Lord. In Jesus' name. We get to participate in what the Lord is doing. A little later in the Gospels, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ. But then Jesus says, from that time on, he began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Things are progressing toward a point. Matthew 20, 28, even as a son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is what Jesus came to do. He wasn't like those other shepherds, false shepherds, who pretended to feed the sheep but starved them. Jesus laid down his life. This is the true message that we minister to others. This is the message that we live by ourselves. That Jesus laid down his life for us and in him we find life as he was raised to life. And then when Jesus comes back from the dead and is teaching his disciples, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We see things are moving to a point that the way the disciples get involved is by praying, but then immediately, even in Matthew 10, he sends them out. So what does this have to do with you and me? First, before we follow Jesus in ministry, we must receive his ministry. Again, I remind you that we are those who are in need. We are those who need the mercy and pity of Jesus. Before we can minister with, to others with compassion, we need to see ourselves as the object of his compassion. And if you don't see yourself in need of his ministry, in need of his compassion, you'll never really understand him. And you certainly won't minister to others the way that he did.
After we receive him, we are ready to do the first thing, which is to pray. Many of us want to be the ones that do something. Many of us are go-getters. Many of us want to get things done. But Jesus says, before you can work for me, before you can represent me, you've got to pray. And this is our prayer, the confidence that we have that the harvest is his. The confidence that we have that anyone will come to Christ is his promise. It's not our, how smart we are. It's Jesus' promise. If it, it's the confidence that we have whenever we witness to any person is that Jesus is working, it's his harvest. And it's the confidence that we have I read a book recently about Tim Keller, his thought and his um, influences, and he writes about Jack Miller from this book called Outgrowing the Ingrown Church. And he contrasts frontline prayer with maintenance prayer. Most people only know prayer as prayer meetings as maintenance. Christians share concerns for their physical well-being of known members. But frontline prayer confesses sin seeks humility, pursues the lost, and yearns to know God face to face. Of course, it's both. We pray for the sick. We pray for those in need. But we don't just pray for those things. And sometimes we get so focused on ourselves that we don't pray for anything else, that we don't imagine that God has something more for us than to live a comfortable life. This is the life that Jesus has called us to, to live for him, to love him, to love the people that he loves, to have compassion on the lost, and to reach them, and to reach out for them with the confidence that God will save. To reach out to them knowing that it is not our, our smarts or our own power that save people, but it's Jesus reaching out to these people. And this is what Jesus did for me. He sent people to reach out to me, not the best speakers, not the best preachers, but he sent people to reach out to me. But it's one of the reasons why we're preparing to go to this place. I looked it up, and South County has about 81,000 people. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think that's about right. The area we're, we're going is about 100,000 people in the metro area, and there's no PCA church. There's really no church that teaches the assurance of salvation. Jesus died to give you the opportunity to trust in him, but Jesus didn't actually die for his people. I don't know if they would go that far. But no one, hardly any are teaching that, and we'll have something to offer. Imagine if, if you moved to an area and there was no PCA Church. Yes, there are other churches out there, and I thank God for that, and I pray for them. But we're going so that people would know God's word clearly, that we'd be able to minister to them. And I know that you'll be praying for us as we go. But we'll continue to pray for South County, that God will send workers here. I think one of the ways that God is gonna work is that he's gonna cause you I know many of you are serving. 
but I think God is gonna call you to serve in new ways that you perhaps weren't aware of before uh, because uh, we are leaving. But God's gonna be working here and perhaps God will give you the joy of serving and reaching out to the lost in a way that you haven't before. That's my prayer for you, that God would continue to use grace as a light in this community, that there's a reason why you are here, whether this is your hometown or whether you moved here, this is where God has placed you, right? Remember what Paul preached about in Acts 17? God has determined the exact places where you live and the time in which you live that we would seek God, that we would point people to him. We know him. If you know Jesus, you know God. But now we have the opportunity to reach out and pray. This past week, I met with Roseanne Jones and Rebecca Reed and talked with them about a prayer group specifically for our adult children, grandchildren who aren't walking with Christ. And I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, but I bet some of you would appreciate something like that. To gather together, to pray and lift these things up. Again, it's one thing to pray by yourself. I, do, I pray uh, alone at times, but there's something about praying with others, lifting up the needs of one another to the Lord. And it's even a form of accountability. But I would love for that group to get started and grow. And when we come back to find that more and more movements of prayer have sprung up, that yes, we would continue to pray for the sick, that we would continue to pray for the crises that come our way, but that the church would be a place where we are praying for the lost. We are praying for our kids, our grandkids, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers. Again, if we don't do that, it's like we're just living for our own comfort and just for our own sustainability. And we forget that Jesus has us here for a purpose. So I encourage you, I, I encourage the elders, Pastor Jerry, everybody, that this would be a church of prayer, that all that God wants to continue to do here would be through prayer, that would be through faith, that would be trusting in God's promise to provide the increase in terms of people, in terms of people that God would have us to reach, that we would be outward focused even as we gather week by week. So thank you for the opportunity of letting me serve you. And to point the way, I know that you'll be praying for me, for us as a family, and that God is gonna have us in the Kankakee area, reaching out, and I trust that God is gonna continue to have grace reaching out to South County with the gospel. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your compassion. We depend on your compassion and love for our salvation. We were in need and you came and reached down to us. You died and rose from the dead. You're a merciful savior and you are with us. Lord, you know our fears. You know that we wrestle with 
letting go, letting go of, of what we think will make us happy, letting go of the voices that are telling us that they can make us happy. Lord Jesus, we believe that true happiness is in relationship with you and in following your lead. So Lord, we pray for the harvest. We pray that you would send out workers into this harvest field in South County to Annapolis and beyond. We pray for Kankakee, Illinois, and the surrounding area, that you would send workers there. We pray for our family members who don't know you, our friends, our co-workers, Lord, send workers to them. Send us, Lord, in humility and love toward them. Give us a heart of compassion for them, seeing how much we needed you, and you came to us and showed us the way. Lord, bless us and bless this church. In Jesus' name, amen. God's parting blessing from Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.